Palo, Hagen Williams here, and this is the Man in the Mirror podcast. It's your weekly fix of self-care and self-image, and it's where I talk to a male guest about their life and their work, and about some of those key items on their bathroom shelf, those things they can't do without in their morning and evening routines. Now, um, there's another fantastic guest from the world of fragrance this week. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Christopher Chong, who is the brand and artistic director at Tamin London, the second fragrance guest in a couple of weeks, actually. But uh, such a thrill to get to spend some time with Christopher. He very kindly invited me to um, the office of Tamin, and we had the chance to chat about his background, um, his work at Amouage, and now at Tamin London. And really such a such an interesting and, and varied career. So it was a thrill to get to spend some time with him. And actually, he comes at fragrance, as you'll, you'll hear in the chat, from quite a different place. Um, he was in academia and was really interested in the world of opera, but um, studied cultural studies, uh, literature, things like that, but wasn't from a sort of traditional science or, or fragrance background in terms of training. So, um, yeah, it has, has a really unique take on the world of fragrance and which you'll hear in, in the chat. So um, really appreciate Christopher spending some time with me this week in Covent Garden. And so here we go. It's Christopher Chong, who's the brand and artistic director of Tammy in London, with me, Hayden Williams, on the Man in the Mirror podcast. Let's go. Welcome along to another episode of Man in the Mirror. It's Hayden Williams here. I've come to Covent Garden, which seems very appropriate as I'm talking to the brand and artistic director of Tamin. It's Christopher Chong. Hi, Christopher. Hi, Hayden. I'm just so happy to be here having this chat with you. Oh, well, it's a delight to be here. And I'm in a boardroom at Tamin, so I can see the full range in front of me. And um, Christopher and I have met a couple of events, and he struck me as someone that's hugely knowledgeable of course and passionate about fragrance with a with a rich history but also someone that's got real opinions is not afraid to say them and and is a really interesting character so I'm delighted he's come on the podcast so Christopher I'd love to know really what was your what was your initial relationship with fragrance how did how did it come about was it something you were keen on as a child well I'm Chinese hey yeah and we were never into fragrances you know that wasn't part of my childhood. But on the other hand, when I reach puberty, you know, certain things, hormonal changes, yep. you are stopped to be interested in fragrances. So yeah, I bought a couple of fragrances as a teenager, but I was never obsessed with it until the 1990s. And that was a period when it was before all the, you know, social media and digital information about perfumes and perfume brands. I just don't know. It was one of those trips I went to Paris, and I just got obsessed. I right. just got obsessed, and that was in a period when niche wasn't niche yet. So presumably, a lot of those brands you wouldn't have seen at home in China at all? No, no. I, um, I was born in Hong Kong. Oh, okay. I was born in Hong Kong, but I was brought up in New York. So your childhood was in New York? My childhood was in New York. Right. <laughs> Little bit of my childhood was in Hong Kong. Yeah. I, I moved to New York. We immigrated to New York when I was six. And was that because of your parents' work? Or? But my parents worked and they felt there was better opportunities for us yeah. than in Hong Kong. That uh, there was much more democracy yeah. and uh, we had the options to be whoever we wanted to be. Uh, also for work as well. And what, what did your parents do? Well, my parents were your, your typical immigrant in New York. My mother was a seamstress yeah. in a sweatshop. My father was a cook in a Chinese takeaway. Right. Yeah. But they had the opportunity to, I mean, it's amazing to go from Hong Kong and say, I want to go and do that in New York. Just And they did that for the family, I guess. Yeah, my father went first. Yeah. My father went first and then... Um, my mother and I were left behind for five years. Mm. And then um, he came back to, you know, take us to New York. And that must have felt like a big, a huge change for a young child from, from quite a different environment to grow up in from, from Hong Kong to New York. I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. Really? And uh, I, I remember when we arrived, it was around December. It was a blizzard. And I had never seen snow in my yeah. life before. <laughs> and I have never, ever experienced such cold weather too. Yeah. And so it was a huge major cultural shock. And did you find it easy to 
assimilate and, and make friends at school and all that kind of stuff? No. Uh, first of all, English wasn't my first language and I didn't speak a word of English back then. Yeah. I was six. Yeah. And yeah, why Chinese, would you? Chinese, why, yeah. why should I? Right? <laughs> yeah, why should I? <laughs> No, no, I did, you know. We, we learned the basic stuff, like, my name is, how are you? Yeah. Right? Because Hong Kong was a colony of the UK. So I had the basic, but I didn't, I didn't speak English as a um, first language. So it was difficult. Mm. Uh, but I was lucky. I went to the local state school and it was a school of all immigrants anyway. Yeah. So it wasn't such a huge shock. But in terms of the culture and activities of getting on. Yeah, it was a huge shock. Mm. It was a huge shock. How many brothers and sisters do you have? Was there a big family? I have two sisters, but they were born in in New York. So you're the oldest? I'm the oldest, yeah. Yeah. So they were not in in such a shock as me. And I think that's the reason why I always found like an outsider in America. Even though I stayed there, I was brought up there, I spent my teenage years there. I went to university there. I still felt like an outsider. And um, I don't know, maybe that's the reason why I, I'm a bit of a loner. Right. Yeah, no, I guess. But it's often the way with with people who have a singular vision and are very creative, you know, you, yeah. you sort of think differently to the to the mainstream and to the, the main views. But going going back to fragrance and, and the light bulb moment, there was a trip to Paris where you got to experience some different brands yeah, I got, and, and... I got to experience brands like Guerlain. Yeah. I mean, it was in the 90s. It was a different world. Guerlain, Caron, Anique Goutau, Latissant Parfumeur, which was a big niche brand back then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I got to experience those. I got to, uh, you know, talk to the uh, people working in the shop and they helped me with my knowledge of brand perfumes and understanding or even how to smell perfumes. Mm. I never... S- even seen a blotter, a sense strip until then. Yeah. So, the, yeah, that kind of changed my world a bit, that I knew there was a world of perfumery outside of your mainstream. So how did it work that you actually ended up getting jobs in, in, in the industry from, from that trip where the world opened up? That was just a trip that yeah. exposed me to perfumes, but that didn't lead me to develop my interest or anything. I've quickly forgotten about it. Mm. <laughs> uh, so, the... Just by chance. Was it? It's just by chance. It's, it's, I never ever imagined I would be working in perfumes. What was your degree in? My degree was in literature, cultural studies. Was it? Uh, I, I did a comparative literature in New York. And then I came over to London to do my postgraduate studies in the, um, literature, psychoanalysis, cultural studies, French cultural studies, you know, a bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah. That was my background. And did you have a certain, at that time before the, the world you did get into, did you have an idea of what you were going to do? Did you think it would be something different altogether? I was planning. My life changed many times. <laughs> <laughs> I had this idea because because in the uh, late 80s, I was watching a lot of Merchant Library films. <laughs> <laughs> Remains of the Dead. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, well, uh, I love uh, that film. Yeah, uh, all, all those films about, you know, Floppish looking uh, English boys, and you know, uh, generally Hugh Grant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I had this romanticized version of the UK, and also don't forget, I was born in the eighties. UK pop music dominated America. But what we, you were talking about the, your cultural studies, yeah. and I was wondering how it ended up segueing into the world of the, the, the job that you ended up doing. I mean, it didn't at all, you know. You said it was a complete accident. At first I came here, I was very determined to do one thing only. I am a planner Mm. in my life. I always know how I want my life to be. I came here to do my postgraduate because I have watched all those Merchant Ivy films. (laughs) I know it's so prestigious. You don't understand. This is the early 90s. Did you study in London? Yeah. Yeah. This was so prestigious uh, that um, to get a postgraduate degree and also maybe going for a PhD. Mm. So I got offers uh, from London, from Queen Mary and Westfield College, UCL, also from um, Oxford to wow. do a uh, PhD after I complete my MA in London, mm. okay, which I did, you know. Uh, and also, don't forget, it was my first time 
away from home, away from a Chinese controlling Chinese parents. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's the first. So I went a bit crazy when I came to London. Yeah. You know, less studying, more partying. <laughs> no, not that kind of partying. You know, it's almost like trying to find us, trying to enjoy the culture, trying to really explore what London has to offer me. And that was a good time to be in London, right? Cupertania. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, the art scene, the art, the music scene, so Brit pop, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, and exactly. great clubs. So, so uh, but still. I finished my uh, MA, I completed my MA, and then I went on to start my PhD. I went to Oxford to have a look, and I just felt, this is not much of an ivory at all. <laughs> I have a friend who went there, yeah. and she was happy. It was her world. Yeah. Okay. She wanted to live that kind of world. But when I went to visit her and went to uh, see the college, visit the college, I just thought, this is not it. I love London too much. So you wanted to stay in the capital? So I stayed and then I went to UCL and they said, yeah, come to us, come to us. And my subject at that time was so esoteric that they didn't know where to place me. The nearest, the closest department they can place me was in the French department. But I don't speak French. My, my slight issue. It was a slight issue, you know. <laughs> I was a bit stubborn also at that time. I went, I decided to go for UCL because it was prestigious. Mm. Uh, I was working with that at that time to go to Goldsmith, but I just thought I don't want to go to Southeast London. Yeah, I don't want to go to a university college in Southeast London, right? And I was a bit of a snob, mm. so I went to UCL, a much more traditional university alongside Oxford and Cambridge. Yeah. Okay. So, did you finish your PhD? No. I was enjoying myself too much. And yeah. also, I was in the wrong department. My subject was uh, perversive fashion, post-war perversive and subversive fashion, uh, using the philosophies, rewriting the philosophy of Roland Barthes of deconstruction. Wow. To analyze subversive and perversive fashion, basically. Ending, ending in with Christian Dior. Right. Okay, so UCL's French department, bless them, they did their best with me, but they didn't have the expertise to advise me. Mm. So that was when I felt I made a mistake because they were so classic. They were into the classics. I felt that at that time, okay, I should have been in the um, Goldsmith. Because Goldsmith is a bit more edgy. arty, isn't it? It was edgy. edgy. Yeah. It was edgy back then in mm. the 90s. Mm. They were making a big change. Mm. But also at that time, my life changed too. I fell in love with opera. Yeah. Uh, so I just thought, and I went for a singing lesson. I just found myself a uh, operatic singing coach. I just thought I'm so fascinated with this sound. Did you Did you always have a voice? Did you always think you no. could sing? Was it? Was it? Was no. It? No. Never. When I was in high school, we had to do world music mm. and I went to Catholic school and one of the priests introduced us to the early operas like Monteverdi at that time I think at the age of 14 or 15 at that time in the 80s I was a bit too embarrassed to admit I enjoyed it so I joined in with the rest of the boys it was a boys school said so, oh god we cannot stand this uh, but deep inside Secretly, me you I loved really it. loved it yeah. I said I wish I can produce that sound so that stayed with me until I was in London. Mm. And then I met some student who was studying in Guildhall, mm -hmm. you know, doing their master's in operatic singing. And they, I was fascinated. So I followed the recommendation, went to a teacher and to see if I have that natural sound. I mean, I was shocked. And did you? I was shocked. I did. Oh. I had natural resonance. I had the natural... Um, production or the resonance sound, what they call squillo in Italian, which is a projection without belting it out above orchestration. Right. So I was very fortunate. So I was absolutely obsessed. At that time, I was also doing my PhD too, but I was losing interest. First of all, because they didn't know how to support me at the, the university. Then eventually, my tutor noticed that I was losing interest. I kept bringing musical references to him in terms of our meetups, so, right? uh, in terms of, you know, operatics and, uh, you know, and, 
rather than talking about politics, culture, psychoanalysis, I was like analyzing operatic Different plot. Different operas, yeah. Yeah, and so now he said, something's wrong here. You know, you're going off the track. Yeah. So I told him what I've been doing. And was, so we had a good talk. And then he just felt that maybe it's not the right direction for me yeah. because it requires so much focus. Got you. So the, that was a hard decision to make because I was in academic life for so many years. I was a bit too scared to go off to the outside world. Yeah, it can get like that, can't it? Come all-consuming and be quite closeting being in the academic yeah. world. Yeah, yeah. yeah so the, I left. And then did you find fragrance? No, <laughs> no. I've... I was. I spent ten years in the operatic world. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, working. Okay. Not working. Not working at all. Developing my voice. Right. So I got myself part-time jobs in publishing to maintain myself to pay for the lessons. At that time, I didn't tell my parents. And was that with a view to actually being a professional singer? I believed in it. Yeah. That was all I dreamed about. I actually believed in if I study hard enough, that it could happen. Yeah. And uh, so this happened until I was around 34. And the cutting off age for international competition was 35. So I knew I had to do it. Mm. And at that stage, I was working with a world-class singing teacher. So I had to do it. So I went to Barcelona to enter an international competition. I didn't win. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But then when I got there, I saw the Russians. That was the first time in my life, in my operatic life, when I started to doubt myself right. and start to fail, which, which I think was a good thing because I was so... Because you own. saw some other people that you thought were next level? Or? The Russians were, were the best yeah. in terms of my voice category. Right. In terms of, you know, being a baritone. So then back I to came back. I came back. I came back and uh, my second teacher said, now it's good that you saw the competitors who you will be competing with. Now you know what level we have to work towards. Yeah. Which I did for two more years. Mm. I've been doing for 10 years by now, for two more years. But then I started to doubt myself, which is not good. I started to have fear, which I didn't have in the past, Mm. uh, which is not good too. Then I started to question myself, saying that, I entered this a bit too late. I did. Mm. A lot of these singers, a lot of the singers I saw in the competition started when they were teenagers, yeah, singing yeah. in the choir, and um, they were pretty developed by the time they're 18 or 20 yeah. already. I didn't start until I was 25. Yeah, which is quite quite late, I suppose. It was quite late. Yeah. So, the, but then my singing teacher said that, well, if you still believe in it, we can still work towards that goal. But then reality bites. The bills start to come in, you know. Of course. All the, all the money that I've been making cannot just go towards vocal coaching because I have a, a teacher and a vocal coach yeah. and you have to pay them every single week. So that is when Perfume Guy came in, okay? <laughs> I saw, um, not looking back, I don't even know how it happened, you know. I try to remember exactly how it happened. Basically, I heard of this brand looking for someone coming from the artistic, cultural background to give them, to advise them on inspirations Mm. about perfumes. I thought, why not? And you got the job? Uh, No, I didn't get a job at first, you know, uh, (laughs) because I didn't know anything about (laughs) perfume. I still don't. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that. I didn't know anything. But did that set the idea in in motion of, of doing something with fragrance? I just think I never ever imagined at that time there's a career mm. in perfume. I wasn't into perfume. Okay, I had a trip to Paris. I bought a few Caron and a few on Latizon and Galon. That was it. That was my uh, perfume history. And stuff that I would normally wear was like Burberry, CK1, you know. So the, I wasn't really, I wasn't a perfume nerd. It wasn't like you were immersed in it for years. And, yeah, uh, I, I, I didn't even know what was the difference between a top note and a bass note. Mm. You know, I don't, I, at that time, I, I didn't even know what jasmine smelled like. Mm. I was born in the city, how would I know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Uh, and uh, so, so who, t- who took a chance on you in the end? How did you get the job? David Quickmore was appointed as CEO of Amorage, mm. and he didn't come from the perfume world when he became CEO of Amorage, and he didn't want the creative person to come from the fragrance world. He wanted someone to be much more daring, to be unconventional, to be non-textbook, to think outside the box. So he uh, said to me, um, we are working on this project. We need someone to offer a bit of uh, cultural guidance, you know, uh, in terms of inspiration, stories. Because all I went on on, on about was about stories, about storytelling, uh, about how they're telling about emotions, how to connect the emotions in the smell with references of from literature or from music or from films or novels because because that was my background which makes sense now yeah hearing about your your studies and and absorbing so much about culture and you know all of those kind of international elements that yeah bringing that to amouage must have been yeah must have been a, a great thing for them and you and you ended up staying there no, not yet, not yet. Uh, oh. Okay, so they sent me to uh, Paris. They said that uh, we're working on this perfume. Uh, why don't you go to Paris and speak uh, to some perfumers? I didn't even know who they were. I didn't even know there was such a thing as perfumers. <laughs> so I just landed in a meeting room like this with some French people sitting around me. And so they said to me, now tell us your vision. So I did. I drew visions, I drew inspirations from opera, I drew inspiration from literature, and I said to them, this is how I imagined the perfume to smell like. They were absolutely shocked. They said, we have never heard anything like that before. Because you came from such a different sort of reference point. I came, don't forget, this is like 2006 and 2007. Mm. Nowadays, people are drawing inspirations from all kinds of sources, okay? But back then, you don't. It, it was a very traditional classic brief. Mm. You know, I didn't even know how to write a classic brief if I have to. So I only did what I know best. Yeah. It came from the inside of me. It came from my own personal history. They were shocked. They thought, they actually literally thought I came from the moon. <laughs> and uh, I said something really arrogant. Back then, I used to say, oh my God, this is the vanity of youth. I used to say so many arrogant things. What did you say? I said to them, I don't give a fuck about ingredients. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine their faces. (laughs) I I only care about the end result. I said, my job, what I am asked to do is to inspire you. To inspire you with imageries, with my personal history, with cultural references. Your job is to put the ingredients together. Yeah. You know, based on your interpretation of my inspirations. But there's also an understanding from you that they have a specific and particular technical yeah. job, which isn't your job. Your job is to provide the yeah, the the artistic inspiration. So but there wasn't anything like that before, you know. Mm. We are talking about 2006. I was the first person to call myself creative director. Back then, everyone was a perfumer. Even you are not formulating. You're, as long as you work in the industry, you are a perfumer. It was a different world. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it wasn't so defined, but I made it very clear. I said, I'm not a perfumer. I don't know what jasmine smells like. I don't know what tuberose smells like. How could I call myself a perfumer? I am someone who inspires. I am someone who puts a story together. Mm. So I'm much more a creative person, like in a fashion house, of a, you know, the creative director who has a whole team of technical technicians around him or her. Yeah, they're not sitting there sewing everything together. Or, or cutting the patterns yeah, exactly. or whatever, right? Mm. So I, I made it very, very, very extremely clear. I am not a perfumer and uh, I don't know anything about ingredients. So they were shocked but it was very refreshing. It was a very enjoyable experience for me too. Mm. I didn't feel, I. that was the first time when I felt in my life something is happening right. Even though I said all that, all that kind of nonsense to the perfumers, uh, even though I was so arrogant, I just felt 
I found something that's right for me, that's natural. Yeah. I found working with good people who actually understands me. And did that project work out? I mean, it obviously did because you <laughs> stayed. It worked out well and they wanted you to do more? Well, it became the 25th anniversary fragrance. Right. And then okay. after that, Amor said to me, we want to put you into contract. Yeah. We want to offer you a contract. Because at that time, before that, I was freelance. I right. was just advising them about branding since it was a bit easier back then. We didn't have digital or social media. Mm. So I was advising about, you know, um, traditional marketing, how to market through storytelling. And that's something that comes through so clearly whenever I've met Christopher and, you know, the more I get to know about Tamin, storytelling and narrative is is a, is a real strength of, of the, the new things that Christopher's doing. We will talk more about Tamin and um, some of the new fragrances that Christopher's introduced in the last year or so. But as always on Man in the Mirror, I like to find out about the bathroom shelf and the key items in your morning and evening routine. So I'd love to find out about some of the products you like, Christopher. So how about in your morning routine? Are, are you are you a man that likes skincare and, and do you have certain products that you favour? I am absolutely obsessed and also I'm glad you said too. that. I'm glad you said that. I like to mix with the, you know, the mainstream supermarket product. Yeah. Uh, also with the uh, super niche skincare or the premium product. For example, because I have oily skin, I'm really bad T-zone. Mm. So uh, even though some people suggest that you should not use any uh, face wash in the morning, you should only do it in the evening. I still need to do it because of my T-zone. Yeah. So I don't believe in spending money in face wash. Just use because, a kind of basic one. You just can rinse it off. Yeah. The one that I use, you can buy a boot, okay? It's Cetaphil's oily skin cleanser. Right. It's really cheap. Yeah. It works. And then I believe in serum. <laughs> Is that where you spend your money? A bit more? Um, I, I use two brands. I use the, uh, a niche brand called You Beauty. It comes from America. Right. You Beauty. Um, Is that Y-O-U or Y-U? You. You. Just you. Yeah, yeah, you. You, that started off by this well-known influencer. She was OG of handbag, fashion, and skincare influencer. Oh. Her name's Tina Craig. Right. She started the brand a few years ago. At first, I thought it was a bullshit brand. Because <laughs> I've been following Tina Craig for so many years. Yeah. Uh, so I thought I'd give it a try. And, and it's good. It's not. It's really good. In my opinion, her resurfacing compound is really good. It's a serum. It has your hyaluronic acid with retinol. Yeah. And can you get that here? Or do you yeah, to... you can get it in the Harvey Nichols. You right. get it in the Harrods. Mm. And also, I switch between that and also another brand that I love is Augustina's Batter. Yes. I love the serum. Yeah. I haven't tried the retinol yet, but I will. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I love the serum. And then I will move on to um, moisturizer. I will use the U Beauty moisturizer. Okay. Yeah. And in the evening, I use, because it's a bit lighter. You beauty one. Yeah. I find that's better for oily skin. And it absorbs in well. Yeah. And then I also use, I swear by it, Augustina's batter, the cream. Yeah. Or the rich cream. If you have dry screen, if you have dry skin, you know, or you feel you need an extra bit of moisturizing. So this is in the evening. Yeah. So I believe in that. Okay. Then for the eye, I don't use it that much, but maybe two or three times a week, right? I use a lot Pravi. Mm-hmm. Skin caviar locks okay. for the eye, yeah. eye cream. And also, maybe once a week, I use the serum, the La Prairie. It's called the Essence of Skin Caviar. Okay. That sounds good. Then for the day wear, never ever leave the house without your SPF. I like it. I swear by it. Yeah, me and too. I, some people say don't spend money on SPF. I'm a bit naughty. I wear the La Prairie one, the SPF 50. Mm-hmm. That's quite expensive for an SPF, okay? But I swear by it. But it okay? works for you. But I recently have bought, I have yet to try it, the Clé de Pole okay. SPF, yeah. Yeah. which is half the price yeah. of La Prairie, and I'm going to try that. See how you go. Yeah. And uh, that is what I use for topical skincare in terms of my evening and also my day regime. And also another thing that I swear by is the massager. 
notes roller. Yes. Some people say it doesn't work, but you need to do it every single morning or evening. At least How long do you do it for? Two minutes, two okay. to five minutes. Mm -hmm. um, do it three or four times a week. Mm -hmm. You don't need to do it every single day, okay? Uh, if you feel your skin's a bit tired, it does add a bit of difference. Not as much as like cosmetic surgery or Botox or, <laughs> or whatever, but yeah. it does add a bit. It does tighten up the muscles a bit, okay? And all these things are topical. I have friends who work in the beauty industry. They told me that topical is not so exactly active. They suggested, which I haven't tried yet, to go to injection. Oh, really? I'm not talking about Botox or fillers. I'm talking about I can't even, like I can't, vitamins and things. I can't even pronounce this. It's called Profilo oh. injections. Yeah. P R O F H I L O. Profilo. Profilo. Yeah. yeah. It's basically injecting hyaluronic and retinol and vitamin C into your skin. Oh, wow. Yeah. And also, I haven't tried this yet. I don't, well, I'm going to admit I'm 54. I just turned 54. So I'm waiting for these things to try these other things until I'm maybe 56. <laughs> I don't want to do everything at once, okay? I heard the LED mask is really good. I've not used those, have the, you? The one by Current Body is really good. It's the one that you saw in Emily in Paris. Yes. And I heard from my friends, it's genuine. It's not a bullshit product. Right. Because there are too many bullshit products in skincare. Yeah. But you haven't used the mask. No, I haven't tried a mask yet. But my friend who writes for, you know, fashion magazines, uh, doing uh, beauty columns, uh, she swears by it. Mm. And uh, I haven't tried it yet. But another thing that I believe in, I'm Chinese, okay? We have always believed in good skincare regime. We also believe in inside the body too. It's not just on the yeah. outside the body. Also what we eat is also very important. Okay? Right. Uh, for example, I swear by this, you may laugh, okay? I love Chinese dim sum, okay? Mm. There is one dish that Westerners may find disgusting, but Chinese people swear by it. It's like knocks 10 years off, but you eat it regularly. What's that? Chicken feet. Really? I swear by it. It's, it's all the collagen. Right. It's, it's chicken feet. Wow. Give it a try. <laughs> yeah, make sure you eat your chicken feet at least once a week. <laughs> and also, you know, goji berries, you know, and um, ginseng tea. Yep. You know, all these things, you know, we believe in putting inside the body what we eat. It's also very important for skincare. And also there's a well-known Chinese dish that's extremely, extremely expensive. It's a dessert concoction. It's made from bird's nest, swallow bird's nest. Okay. It sounds disgusting, okay? Yeah. But that's what Chinese people believe in. And the nest is made from the bird's vomit. Oh. <laughs> I swear by it too. All the Chinese people swear by really? it. That's why Chinese people look younger than the actual age. Yeah. Well, you do look, your skin's incredible for and 54. And also, I used to be a heavy smoker mm. when I was a lot younger, when I was in university. Do you smoke at all now? No, I quit smoking 12 years ago. Mm. I haven't touched our cigarettes. And also, I quit smoke drinking 10 years ago. Because alcohol is really bad for your skin. Yeah. I mean, I might have a glass or two of champagne once a year. Yeah. But I stopped. Yeah, but smoking and alcohol, if you've not, if you don't do those for a long time, that's really good for your skin. And also, uh, drink your water. And um, I also believe, because I'm Chinese, and, you know, we believe in drinking not cold water. We believe in drinking boiled hot water. That's good for your internal system. Or that's good for the cleansing. Okay. And do you have certain, in terms of hair, do you have certain products you like to use for hair care? What, do you, what do you put in your hair? I am extremely, extremely easy, basically. I wash my hair once a day in the morning. Mm -hmm. I use the, uh, because I color my hair. I've been coloring my hair since I was in my 20s, so I don't even know what my natural hair color is anymore. <laughs> uh, but when, uh, you, when you did it in your 20s, was that just because you wanted to try different colors or were you going Yeah, I was, I was, I was a bit experimental. Yeah. Sometimes I'm red, sometimes I'm blonde. You know, I was, I was extremely experimental. Mm. But then it got to the age now that uh, I do it for another reason. I use a Vader. I don't really know much about shampoos. I know there's so many out there. Yeah. I use a Vader for damage remedy. Okay. It's called damage remedy. As a shampoo. Uh, as a shampoo and conditioner. Right. And in terms of styling my hair, it's all natural. I don't even use a hair dryer. Just let it dry. I just, I just uh, you know, brush my hair, just let it dry naturally. Yeah. Because in terms of positioning the hair, in terms of volume, everything, everything depends on the cut. 
if you have a good cut, you don't need to use all these products. Where do you go for your hair? I go to this place in Belgravia. It's called Errol Douglas. Oh, yes. I know Errol Douglas. He's great. <laughs> No, no, Errol doesn't. doesn't oh, he doesn't do yours, but, but his this, salon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I go to his salon. This guy called Leroy. I have known him for 30 years. Wow. And he's been, he, has he been there all that time? No, no. no. He's, he's been in Errol Douglas maybe for 10, 15 years. Mm. Okay. But he didn't used to cut my hair. He only uh, started cutting my hair 10 years ago. Mm. Yeah. And in terms of fragrance, the fact that you're well, often in an office where there's all your new, you know, New products and, and new things you're launching. How does it work? Would you would you put fragrance on in the morning, or do you save it until you're coming to the office? What, how, how does it work with enjoying fragrance? The fact that you have to do it as a job. I actually don't have a chance. I don't have any opportunities to enjoy any fragrance because I'm always working on future projects. Yeah, I am always testing it on my skin using my, myself as a guinea pig. Yeah. Um. So I never. I'm always wearing future project, but there is a scent that sometimes when I go to the opera or when I go to the theater and I want to feel, smell nice mm. and to smell original, I wear my friend's fragrance um, by Bruno, Bruno Jovanovic. Yep. He has a fragrance that he did for a special project for the uh, Chateau de Mar. Is it Chateau de Marly in Versailles? They had a uh, special exhibition about Louis XIV's to Louis says, reimagining all the objects, personal objects and personal things they did. So Bruno's project was to recreate the perfumes, the cologne that Louis XIV and Louis Cans and Louis says wore. My favorite is Louis XIV. So I will wear Louis XIV. And what are the keynotes in that? What do, what do you like about it's, it? I just think it's, it's the most amazing scent I ever smelled. Is it? Yeah, it's based on orange blossom. It's a cologne based on orange blossom with, with a bit of ginger in it. And uh, I, don't, I don't have all the ingredients. He you just, just love gave it. it to me as a scent to wear. Yeah. And it's only available to smell at the Chateau de Marley. Well, that's a good segue because um, in your new role as brand and artistic director at Tamin, you're, you're working with great perfumers such as Bruno. Yeah. And, and what was it that brought you to Tamin? Have you been here about a year, a year or so now? A year and a bit. Yeah. What was it that made you come here and what, what, what's, what's excited you about what they're doing here at Tamin? Previous CEO of my previous brand, he became a CEO of Tamin. Right. And he was here to restructure, to reboot a brand. So he brought a lot of the old team members to Tamin. And for me, I don't know, when I left the industry in 2019, I didn't expect to come back. Did you not? No. You thought that not was it? Not at all. Not at all. Unlike so many others, I didn't have the money to start my own brand. First of all, I wasn't interested in starting my own brand. Yeah, I just felt really tired and I felt I really needed to a long break. Because of all those years, maybe 15 years, I didn't have any holidays. So I felt like I needed a good break of doing nothing. And then COVID hit. I so we're all doing nothing. Yeah. But I was hoping that I always wanted to work for a British brand, but there are many out there looking for people like me. So I was extremely, extremely fortunate when uh, Tamin called and uh, they explained to me their brand identity, their brand DNA, that they are the first brand to look at British culture through the eyes of diversity. And I felt that is a very important thing for me in this stage of my life, yeah. to be able to look at British heritage and British um, culture from a different angle. From a different lens, yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. And I'd come across Tamin a few years ago and I knew some of the collection, but I think what you brought to it and, and the new team over the, the last year, it feels like a very different brand now. And the, there's a Brick Cologne trilogy, two of which have come out so far, which is Fanfare and Bohemian Infusion. Yeah. There's one more later this year. It'd be great to find out a bit more about what Brit Cologne means and... and how they've added something new to the Tamin collection. The Brit alone is mine just being a bit playful, you know, mm. uh, just thinking myself, you know, of 
Benefer, you know, <laughs> you know, little celebrity couples combine yeah. their, their names together. Brangelina. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just thought, why don't I just keep it simple? Simplicity is the best. Combining Absolutely. British and Cologne, the best of uh, British Cologne heritage. And also the word Cologne, it gives that kind of vibe, sensation of being a hybrid. I want to create a hybrid, a modern hybrid, because traditional Cologne is not long lasting. And it's also very generic. Yeah. You only use a few of the uh, citrus and uh, a bit of uh, herbs and uh, aromatic note. And these and are very different, aren't these, they? There's much more going on. And also I want this to, and also it's a style that I have never worked on before. I've never done colognes in my past and to me, never had any cologne. So I thought this is a good idea, good mm. concept. And it's starting something kind of new and, and distinct for the brand. Yeah, and also, you know, putting my DNA into it as yeah. well, in, into the DNA of Tamin. And also, the, I have been misunderstood a lot in the past with my style. People thought my style in the past was too overwhelming, too out there, too powerful, too nuclear, too atomic in mm. terms of siage and longevity. They thought it was because it's an Arabic brand, mm. but that was not true. That is Christopher Chong's style. Yeah. I am someone who is into maximalism. Yeah. I was a child of the 80s. Yeah. I believe in OTT, everything <laughs> over the top. So that has always been my style. And I, I'm still keeping that style. And I took that style into the Pritolo. But I think it's, they do, even though the, you know, there's more going on with, with something like Fanfare, it does feel slightly more contained, I don't know, refined. It, it doesn't feel like, I. it's very wearable. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful fragrance, isn't yeah. it? It's, it's not like it's difficult to wear or anything like that. Well, I think it's a evolution yeah. in terms of my style, in terms of my working style. It's an evolution, okay? I don't think I can stay behind to what I was doing in the past. First of all, I don't want to. And the people that I'm working with, the, uh, the perfumers and my evaluators who are the major, pay, they play such a major key important role in what I do now, the evaluator. I said to them, never ever allow me to step back into what I have done in the past in terms of that style. Please make sure, stop me. Even though they hurt, slap me, <laughs> wake me up. I love that though. But you know, you're, you're still wanting to evolve and just not recreate the greatest hits as it were you want to try to make new weird analogy but you know you're making new music aren't you it's it's, it's trying to do something different it's not just you kind of what? playing playing the old songs you know what it's quite interesting what you said what i am actually doing now maybe it comes with age that i'm in my 50s now i'm much more confident that um in the past i don't forget hayden I joined this industry without any experience, mm. okay? And I had a lot to prove. I had to really make a mark for myself. Yeah. So I thought about being odd and different and creating some unwearable fragrances that will, you know, um, put me on the... On the map. On the map, yeah. right? on, the, yeah. on the perfume world map, right? It gets people talking, even though if they can't wear my fragrances, okay? Now I'm at a stage in my life, I have done it all. I mean... This may sound a bit blase, but I've done it all. I'm much more confident that, that um, I love revisiting the classic and giving it a twist. It's almost like Lady Gaga singing jazz. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't have to prove it anymore. She's done it all. You know, she set her own trend. Yeah. She created her own trends. And now she can actually go back and sing the jazz, sing the classics. Yeah. And that is how I feel now. I can just actually create a inspire extremely wearable classical fragrances, but with an added Christopher Chong touch to it. Yeah, there's always a little yeah. edge or a twist. But yeah, much less to prove now. You've done it. Yeah. And what I loved when we've met before and you've talked so eloquently already about, about narrative and story, and we're here in Covent Garden in London, there's a story and a place for the Brit Alone trilogy in that it's about... Covent Garden. Certainly, Fanfare and Bohemian Infusion are about Covent Garden, aren't mm. they? In this area, so you've you've kind of absorbing what's what's around you. Can you tell us a bit about Fanfare and the kind of story and, and Bohemian Infusion? You know, what what are the stories of of London and what, what are they about? I mean, first of all, 
the Long Collection is going to be here to stay. And the trilogy is called Covent Garden Trilogy right. for this year. Um, because Covent Garden actually means a lot to me. When I was a postgraduate student, I used to go to the old British library mm. at the British Museum. Mm. And I used to live in uh, Blackheath. And so every day I would walk from Charing Cross to the uh, British Museum and Covent Garden. So for many, many years, I used to, this, this used to be my journey. And, and the and Opera that, House, I suppose. And the Opera House. Mm. And also uh, Covent Garden for me is the centre of London. Because normally when people ask each other, where would you like to meet? Where, where do we meet? And we normally would say, outside Covent Garden tube station. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like everyone's there, isn't it, when you're trying to get out? Of- it's in the centre of the world, or at least centre of London. And also, it had just so much culture here. Mm. And then um, Fanfare actually started with my friendship with Bruno Jovanovic, okay? When I knew him, um, we both saw, not together, we both saw My Fair Lady mm. in New York, in Lincoln Centre, when it was a new production. And we talked about it and we joked about it. And we said, how come there's never been a perfume made based, inspired by a musical, you know? And we make all kinds of jokes about Eliza and and everyone, okay? Which I I should not mention here, it was too naughty. (laughs) And and so it didn't happen because I left. I left the industry. And then when I came back, I, I actually was putting this collection together into a brief. And I contacted Bruno. I said, I want to do something about Covent Garden. He said, yeah, we were making fun of uh, Eliza. said, why don't we focus? I said, why don't we focus on iconic places in Covent Garden? So the most iconic one, the first one is the flower market. Of course. And the flower, the smell of fresh flowers means a new beginning, a fresh beginning. So we thought that is a good concept in terms of a new collection, in terms of the Tamim reboot, in terms of my returning back to the industry, it's like a new beginning. Yeah, so it all heads that way. On, on the, so I, Bruno oversaw that project mm-hmm. for Fanfare. And so he, uh, we were inspired by the musical, we were inspired by um, George Bernard Shaw's Pygmalion, mm. the play. And uh, But then at the beginning, when we were working on the formulation, I was too, I have always been too greedy. I want, I want to cover every aspect of the story <laughs> musical and it drove Bruno crazy. He said, there are too many perfumes in this one musical. Right. So why don't we just focus on the iconic flower market next to the Royal Opera House uh, because that is the beginning of the musical and that's the end of the musical. Yeah, yeah. Once she's married. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so, the, so that was what he did and he wanted to capture the magical smell the aura, that, that what, what you uh, experience when you open the door to the flower market. And also, he didn't want to include too many flowers or else it would turn into a white flower bouquet or something like that. Yeah, he just yeah. wanted to capture the moisture yeah. that you smell in that glass building, you know. So that, and so that was what he did and, uh, by using, uh, you know, uh, his magical ingredient, you know, in, in his flower market accord. And it's beautiful. Uh, the only floor that he used was in the Roly. And he wanted to be, you know, because we make so many naughty jokes about the uh, the play, about the musical. So he wanted to have this drunken kind of vibe, uh, feeling. That's why he added um, juniper berry. Yeah. You no know, gin, gin. And also yeah. vermouth. And uh, that kind there's of, a bit of pep- know, pepperiness to it as well. Yeah. It? yeah. So that, that was what he did. Oh, it's great. And then from um, Fanfare, we went on to the Piazza and I decided to work with um, Maurice Wiesel mm-hmm. and Alexandra Carla, whom you met last I did, week. yeah. Okay? Yeah. And they worked on Bohemian Infusion. Yeah. So, yeah. With that, my story was very simple at first. I wanted to capture the magic, the international focus of uh, the Piazza, where all nations come and meet at the Piazza. Mm. Then uh, Maurice Wiesel... Sorry, Maurice. Um, <laughs> Maurice Roussel came to London and they saw Covent Garden. They said, no, we think you can be a bit dark and edgy. I said, no, that was the old me. I don't want to do edge or the <laughs> darkness, the prince of darkness anymore. I want to do happiness. <laughs> um, yeah. I want to share my happiness in a bottle. Uh, so he said, no, I think you can focus a bit more. So he challenged me. 
to revisit the story, to rewrite the story. So I did. I went back to the uh, end of the 19th century and 20th century when it was a working market during the time when it was very bohemian. Mm. And, there, and the piazza itself was a working uh, vegetable and fruit market. And there were cafes and pubs inside. And the dandies and aristocrats would come and mix with the actresses and actors mm. of Jury Lane yeah. and all kinds of naughty things happen. Yeah. And so uh, that was a story that they challenged me to give to them, which I didn't have initially. Yeah, so just show a different side of... of yeah, they, want, they wanted to me to give them that kind of edge, that kind of, um, you know, uh, I, I think it was much more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it, and, you know, as we say, finding out more about the story, like it's... Uh, for me, as a, a perfume lover, I, I, I really enjoy finding out about the you know what the, what the inspirations are. But of course, it you know doesn't always. You can just go into a store and smell it, and it can smell amazing, and that's yeah. fine. But I think the more you get to find out, and particularly with a, a, a artistic director and someone like yourself, Christopher, I, I you know I really enjoy when you're painting the pictures and you, you give an idea of of. The fragrance, I think, that comes across so well in the yeah. Brit Alone series so far. And you said there's one more there's to one come more. In, in the autumn. There's one more that's coming out in October. Mm. And that one is by Bruno Jovinovic. Right. And that one, the most iconic building in Covent Garden, which is the Royal Opera House. And uh, But it's not what you think it is. Because right. I have done, in my past life, I have done a few opera inspire fragrances. Mm -hmm. So it's not what you think it is. It's based on friendship. Oh, okay. But relating it, relating it back to the Royal Opera House. I will look forward to uh, hearing more about that in the autumn. If we could move to, we talk about on oh, Man in the Mirror, about self-image and, and self-care, obviously. As the name suggests, I'm, I'm really interested in what people think of when they, when, when they look in the mirror. So I wonder... Now, when when you're getting ready in the morning and you're, and you're doing your sort of morning routine, what what do you think about your appearance as you look in the mirror? Are you happy with what you see? I'm not going to bullshit. Don't bullshit. Okay, I'm going to tell you the truth. Please do. Basically, you know, I'm not going to give you that kind of nonsense to say that, oh, wow, at my age now, I see someone who... I'm not going to give you a spirituality... I'm not going to give you a kind of, uh, you know, feel good kind of answers no. about it, you know. Give it to uh, me real. Uh, yeah, I can give it to you real. I am 54 now. Mm. Uh, sometimes I look in the mirror, I will wake up, I say, God, where did that twin go? That twin just disappeared. Because mm. <laughs> I, I was quite twinkish looking for some time, you know. And then all of a sudden when I hit 50. Twinkish? Yeah, twinkish. What's that mean? Oh, okay, okay. I'm, uh, sorry, showing my ignorance. Uh, well, uh, like cute. No, no, but I mean very, um, very boyish. Okay. Very boyish. Like, you know, even when I was in my 30s, I looked probably when I, I looked like I was 16. Mm. You know, I was lucky. Mm. You know, when I was 25, you know, I looked like I was 12, you know. So I was extremely uh, lucky. But now, when I wake up, sometimes I see myself say, you know, WTF, you know? <laughs> I said, what the hell, you know? Uh, I don't think you're able to see the world now yet, okay? But then there are times when I wake up, I feel I'm able to control and dominate the world. I'm, I'm ready mm. to challenge the world, take, the, take everyone on, take the world on, okay? Yeah. I mean, it all depends on not just what you see in the mirror. I think it also depends on your mental health of at course. that stage, okay? Because I focus a lot more on the well-being the overall package to my mental health too. Yeah. That's how, also now, I'm much older now, so it's much more, for me, I want to accept the fact that it's not going to be a perfect day every yeah. single morning when I look in the mirror. Sometimes I will just hate myself. I say, where have all those years gone? But sometimes I say, thank God I'm not in my 20s anymore. You know, that I'm able now to live my life the way that I want to live it now. I'm much more in control. Yeah. But then there are times, why? <laughs> no, but I think that that level of perspective, and yeah, of course, there are, there are days when, you know, we want to look like we did 20 years ago. But being able to look at yourself and know that you bring experience and knowledge, that's that's a good thing, I think, isn't it? Yeah, but 
I don't see myself as someone who have all that experience. For me, life is a journey. Yeah, and everything should be like good and bad. I love the bad. But even just, I mean, not even necessarily, you know, job experience or something like that. But the fact that you and I have been around for a certain number of years, you've we just had experience of yes. different things, yeah. haven't you? you? You've we've had more days than some people. So, and it certainly doesn't always bring knowledge and you know some sort of wisdom but i think we've seen certain situations before maybe i think with our especially my life experience and now i'm able to be much more honest when i look into the mirror i'm able to be much more honest if i don't feel good that day there's some kind of imbalance in me i'm able to say i'm having a shit day i don't feel good i say what the hell is uh, that staring back at me i'm able to recognize it now it's okay and that's good you know yeah. but in the past right Maybe when I was younger, no, 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 you better feel good. Mm. You don't feel good. There's something wrong with you. Mm. Yeah. And also, it's not just the mirror. That it's also photographs because of the iPhone. We all take selfies. Yeah. You know. You know. Um. So we have photographs from our youth. Well, it came out when I was thirty-five. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my iPhone photo um, album goes back to when I was thirty-five. As I said, when I was thirty-five. I look like I was 22. So, the, so also based on our photographs, okay, that back then when I took those photos at that age, I didn't feel good in all those photos. You didn't. I didn't feel good, mm. even though I was young. Mm. I didn't feel good. I feel that, oh my god, you look so awful. What's wrong with you, okay? But now, being a 54, looking back at those photos, what the hell was I thinking about? You look good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Why, why, why was I so critical no. of myself? So you go a bit easier on yourself. Now, I'm much you? easier now yeah. on myself now. It's, it's a, life is not jolly every single day, and you don't always see that uh, ideal image of yourself mm. in the mirror every day. So it's okay to be shit. Yeah, totally. And just to, to yeah. accept that. And, I mean, that is life. Yeah. That is life. Accept it and also embrace it. Yeah. And love being a shit. Yeah, but I think also, you know, from talking to you and, and talking about you know, some of the things that you're interested in, it's, it's the fact that you you care about what goes into your body and you're obviously someone that thinks quite holistically about health and mental health and all those things and you know that there's different components to it, which yeah. I think is a, is a really good yeah. way of thinking about it, you know, putting good things in yeah. to get good things, you know, good things yeah. out. Yeah, I just feel, you know, I mean, mental health is something that I really embrace when I hit 35, it's not just mental health. I mean, good mental health is, is a good balance to our well-being overall. Mm. That uh, is also, we should be able to accept who we are. Mm. I think it's a, a balance in good mental health. For example, when you cannot accept, when you have an off day, mm. that... Uh, you should be able to accept that we are not perfect. No, you know, that it can't be amazing all the time. Yeah, and also the now I who I see in the mirror, I feel much more well balanced. Mm. It's not just what I see in the mirror in terms of my life overall. I just feel that I don't need to do certain things or say certain things so that others will be happy. Mm. You know, for example, I don't need a lot of people in my life. As I get older, that uh, in the old days, you know, they are, I have toxic friends. I know toxic people, yeah. but I still embrace them mm. uh, because I was young. I didn't know any better. Now, it's okay. It's okay. I don't need those people in my life. I don't need to embrace uh, people who don't fit into my psyche or my ways of thinking. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of the benefits of getting a bit older is learning who you need in, in your life to make you feel good and, and knowing your own mind and being able to say it a bit more, I think. You strike me as someone who's quite a, a plain speaker, though, like you tell people what you think. I think I think I got that from my mother. Yeah. She is like that too. Really? Because I actually, I haven't seen my parents since COVID in 2019. They're still with us, though. They're, yeah, they still, they still. Yeah. I haven't seen them since... COVID, I saw them in March. They're in New York? Yeah, and my mother is still like that. So I think I got that from her. She mm. said to me, I think you put on weight. <laughs> Thanks, mom. She said, I think you should, because of what the social media you need to do now, okay, or the um, videos. You she wants to you to put on weight. No, she said, I think you need to lose some weight. Oh, right. 
Wow. Okay. How do you take that? I I used to be I used to be a、uh, sandbox size for、yeah. many many years until you know the lockdown.、Mm. Okay. Now I'm a size bigger than sample size. Okay. Which I feel no, it doesn't bother me at all because of my who I am now,、mm. my age now. I'm very comfortable. Yeah. Of.、Uh, I'm the most critical person of myself. Yeah. So I don't think anyone else can say anything else to annoy me. Yes.、Yeah. So you've、I'm, said it to yourself. I said it to myself many times.、Yeah. Right? Looking at the mirror. Okay. <laughs> so she said to me,、uh, "I think because all the social media and the press you will do and your press、uh, photos and everything, you should go on a diet. You should lose your weight. Stop eating your ice cream. Stop having dessert. Right." And I just said, "Yeah, I think so too." But、um, I just. Oh, my answer to her was: At my age, if I still look like a catwalk model wearing wearing sample size, I think there's something wrong with me. <laughs>、yeah. There's something wrong with my body. Yeah, I think I think something will lock me up. Yeah, yeah. And finally, Christopher, what what are the things that make you happy? That is a very difficult question. I know that's I know. such a difficult question. And it could, you know, it could be the trivial little things. It could be the bigger things. Even just instinctively, I mean, on a personal level, which makes me happy is just being at home, snuggling with my dog, and what sort of、TV. dog have you got? I have a Brussels Griffin. It's a、uh, Belgian dog called、right. Griffon Bruxellois. Okay, Brussels Griffin. Are they small? Yeah, they're really tiny. Right, they look like a pug, but they are not a pug. So, yes,、yeah, snuggling up with, with my dog at home, watching Netflix, watching YouTube. <laughs> I don't know. Recently, I've been obsessed with YouTube. Have you? Yeah, there's so much, so many things to watch yeah, on YouTube. Yeah, you can、uh, lose hours there. But in terms of my professional life, I didn't notice this. Okay, I only noticed it when I wasn't doing it. When I had a three-year hiatus break, okay, I think that made me really. I only noticed it now when I came back last year. You know, brainstorming with the perfumers, working with the perfumers,、mm. that gives me so much happiness. Just like you know, just brainstorming ideas. I love that, and it does seem to be.、Uh... It's such a collaborative thing, isn't it? Perfume making, and 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 when I saw you talking at some of the events with the perfumers, it, there's obviously you have a very close relationship and and a very sort of direct honesty with with the perfumers. Yeah,、um, yeah. I, I, I imagine that would be one of the one of the great things because you're you're working with creative people, and there's an end. You get you get an end result. You get something that. That you've made from 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 that work. Yes. So I just noticed that, that in terms of I didn't notice it when I was doing it for so many years, but now I do. I think you enjoy the, the the working with other people more now. It's it's a different type of relationship now. Right. I find I am much closer because now I'm I feel I'm much more in control because in the old days I work in a different style. I send a brief out to the perfume manufacturers. And then internally, they will brief that project to several perfumers,、mm. and then I would do a blind smelling test and、uh, to smell which perfumers I would select. You normally you you will have a shortlist of two or three perfumers.、Mm. You will end up, and then as you go further down the projects, you end up with one or two perfumers.、Right. Now, I kind of have been doing this for some time, and I know their style, and I have friendships with some of them. So, so you'll choose. Choose, which is much more sustainable.、Yeah. It's less wasteful. Yeah, it's time-consuming and、uh, less wasteful with ingredients and、uh, raw materials. And also means you're getting to work with people that you have a good relationship with and、yep. know can deliver. It is for me now the stage of my life. Okay, even though sometimes I do feel I'm a bit angry, or pissed off, or whatever. Okay, I want to promote happiness. Mm. I want to promote friendship in a bottle. I want to share that happiness and joy in a bottle with everyone else. Well, that's a lovely note to end on, Christopher. Thank you so much for your time. It's been great to see you here in the office at Tamine in Covent Garden. Really appreciate your time, and、um, hope to see you again soon. Thank you.、It、has been extremely fun. Thanks, Christopher. Well, I hope you found that as interesting as I did. Loved spending some time with Christopher this week. I think also, you know, what he was saying about. Putting a, a different sort of cultural take on a British brand, you know, giving it a kind of outside perspective, so that he can give his own take on on Britishness with Tamine. And、um, if you're not familiar with the range, the the Brit Alone series, which is、um, Christopher's own take on on the Cologne、uh, style of perfumery, but、um, 
both Fanfare and Bohemian Infusion are beautiful fragrances, both of which I, I wear often. And um, yeah, just a kind of a more complex, a more rich, a more interesting take on, on what would be a kind of quite straightforward, you know, barbershop style of perfumery, but um, both elevated greatly. And, and Christopher's obviously working with some of the best perfumers in the world in in the shape of Maurice Roussel and Alexandra Carlin and Bruno Jovanovic. So fantastic products in the Tamine range and well worth checking out if you get the opportunity. You'll find them in some of the, the finest stores in the world, but also you can find them online at Tamine London, which is T-H-A-M-E-E-N, London, L-O-N-D-O-N.com. So it's TamineLondon.com and on Instagram at Tamine Fragrance. So T-H-A-M-E-E-N, Fragrance, at Tamine Fragrance on Instagram. This is the last episode of the current season, season four. I'm going to take a short break over the summer um, to recharge, to <laughs> go away, and um, I'll absolutely be planning some more episodes for September and lining up some some guests that I hope you're going to enjoy in season five. So thank you so much for your time over the last season and the seasons that have preceded it. It's been great to have your company and I hope you'll join me again in season five. If you want to follow me at Man in the Mirror, I'm at Man in the Mirror Pod on Instagram and um, you'll find more information there about previous guests and if you're missing your fix of Man in the Mirror too much, you can uh, find some previous episodes there and the um, link tree has previous episodes and you sure you'll be able to find things and also on youtube i'm um, the man in the mirror podcaster on youtube too so thanks for your company thank you so much to christopher for joining me this week thank you to all my guests in this current season and i hope i'll get to uh, have your company again in season five in september until then have a great summer take care see you soon 